But uh, this time of the year, for parents of college students, uh, we have to, if we want any financial aid for our family, and all of us do, we have to fill out a couple of applications. One's called a, a FAFSA, which is federal uh, uh, help from the federal government. Also, for UVA, you have to fill out another profile. Now, why I tell you this is because it's similar to tax season. All of us have to do taxes, so this is how they're similar. When it comes to filling out applications for financial aid, you want to be poor. Because if you're poor, you get more money. But isn't it true, all the rest of the year, you want to be rich. So, you know, when you're having to fill out the forms and they're asking you all the, the amount of your savings accounts and the amount of your investments and how much your house is worth, how much money you have, you know, when you're filling that out all the rest of the year, you wish it was millions of dollars. But when it comes to filling that out form, you wish you had nothing so you'd get more help. It's the same with taxes, isn't it? When you fill out the tax return, especially the charitable giving, you know, when it's Sunday and the plates pass by, uh, maybe it, you've put it in, maybe there's a, a twinge of, uh, I wish it wasn't so much, or maybe I wish I, you know, it, but when it comes to tax time, you wish you could put down $50,000. That's how much I gave to the church this year. And so there's times when the first and the last are reversed. And when we want to be rich, other times we wish we were poor <laughs> and things get mixed up. And that's what this parable is about today that I want to share with you. And it comes in Matthew 20. Here it is. For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire workers for his vineyard. After agreeing with the workers on one Daenerys, he sent them into his vineyard for the day. When he went out about nine in the morning, he saw others standing in the marketplace doing nothing. He said to them, you also go into my vineyard and I'll give you whatever is right. So off they went. About noon and about three, he went out again and did the same thing. Then about five, he went out and found others standing around and said to them, why have you been standing here all day doing nothing? Because no one has hired us, they said to him. You also go into my vineyard, he told them. Let me stop right there and explain where we are. Jesus is telling a story, and he says this story is like the kingdom of heaven. And it's a simple story to understand, especially in Jesus' day. Here is a vineyard owner. It's harvest time. He has a large vineyard, and now he needs laborers to bring in the harvest. What was very common in that day was for day laborers to wait in town until someone came and hired them. And the workday usually was 6 in the morning till 6 in the evening, 12 hours of work. And so this parable begins at 6 in the morning when the vineyard owner goes out and he finds the day laborers out waiting for work. And he says, come and work in my field. He says, I'll pay you one denarius, which was the common wage for a day laborer. So they were expecting that. That's what he was paying. And so they went off to work. Well... The workday went on. Now it was later in the day. It was nine in the morning. He needed more workers, so he hired some more. And he said to them, I'll pay you whatever is right. And so they agreed to work. Well, then at noon, then at three, the, 
At five o'clock, there's only one hour left in the day, and he goes and he gets more workers agreeing to pay all of these whatever is right. And so this is where the parable is right now. These workers have come. Some have worked all day. Some worked parts of a day. Some of them even only worked one hour. Now the day has come to an end, and it's time to be paid. When evening came, the owner of the vineyard told his foreman, call the workers and give them their pay, starting with the last and ending with the first. When those who were hired about five came, they each received one denarius. So when the first ones came, they assumed they would get more, but they also received a denarius each. When they received it, they began to complain to the landowner. These last men put in one hour and you made them equal to us who bore the burden of the day's work and the burning heat? He replied to one of them, friend, I'm doing you no wrong. Didn't you agree with me on a Daenerys? Take what's yours and go. I want to give this last man the same as I gave you. Don't I have the right to do what I want with what is mine? Are you jealous because I'm generous? So the last will be first, and the first last. So Jesus told this story, and, and what is the point of it? Well, I think there's a couple of misconceptions about this parable. One, it's not about salvation. It's not about people earning their salvation. Some people earn it early in life, and some people earn it later in life, and some people live a long life serving the Lord, and some come right at the last minute, right before they die, and they enter the kingdom. It's not about salvation. It's not about entering the kingdom of heaven. Because it's clear in Scripture that our salvation is not about our working. Just a couple of verses to remind us of that. Paul says, but when the kindness of God our Savior and His love for mankind appeared, He saved us. Not by works of righteousness that we have done, but according to His mercy. We do not earn our salvation by doing good works. So this parable is not about that. Again, remember, you are saved by grace through faith, and this is not from yourselves. It's God's gift, not from works, so that no one can boast. So the parable is not about people who come to Christ at a young age and work for a lifetime, and those who come at the last minute of life and work for a short time. It's not about that. It's also not about the rewards we receive. Because notice, all of the workers got the same. If this parable was about our service for God and us working for Him and doing good works for Him and being rewarded at the end of our life when we went into the kingdom of heaven, it would, it's not about that because as 1 Corinthians 3, 8, Paul says, Now he who plants and he who waters are one, and each will receive his own reward according to his own labor." We don't receive the same reward. We receive eternal life as a gift. We receive heaven as our home. But we as Christians, as we live our life and serve God and serve others and do good works, those we will be rewarded for. But obviously not everyone receives the same gifts and talents to be able to do the same things. And obviously not everyone takes the most advantage of all the opportunities they have. So we all don't receive the exact same reward. So this parable is not about receiving reward for our good works. This parable is about motivation for how we serve God, for the good works that we do. And to understand that, we have to understand 
where this story is told. Unfortunately, uh, in our Bibles, this is the beginning of a chapter, Matthew 20. As you know, the chapters and verses were not original. When Matthew wrote his gospel, he didn't write numbers in it. And so, unfortunately, this cutting place, as our English translations are, kind of cuts this off from Matthew 19. In Matthew 19, two significant things happen that make sense why Jesus told this parable. So Jesus meets a rich young ruler. You know his story. He comes to Jesus and he asks Jesus what he has to do to inherit eternal life. And Jesus tells him to keep the commandments. And the guy says, well, which ones? Uh, And Jesus says... You know the ones. I mean, uh, don't commit murder, don't commit adultery, honor your father and mother. And he's, the rich young ruler says, well, I've done all that. I mean, probably obviously he hadn't. This guy off, obviously thought he was pretty good. And Jesus said to him, well, the thing that you lack then is go and sell all the possessions that you have and give them to the poor and come follow me. And you know how this man realized how much he had. And it says he was grieved. He didn't want to part with what he had. And so he left Jesus. We assume he left Jesus with all of his stuff and never followed Jesus. And we assume what happened. He passed from this earth, left all of his stuff here and missed out on the kingdom of heaven. When Jesus saw this, he, he said, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for the rich, a rich person to enter heaven. And the, the comedy of the imagery is supposed to be there. Camel is big, uh, eye of a needle small. To get that squeeze through there can't happen. It's impossible. And that's what the disciples say. Well, that's true. Then who's going to make it? And Jesus says, with man it's impossible, but with God nothing is impossible. Now, Peter was pretty sharp. He realized this rich man had given up nothing. But he realized that he and his fellow disciples had given up everything. So he even said to Jesus, Well, Jesus, see, we have left everything and followed you. So what will be there for us? You can't really tell it in how it's printed. I think the parable that Jesus tells us gives us sort of the tone with which Peter said this. I imagine the tone was like, well, Jesus, what do we get? You know, look at what has been, what we've given up. There's got to be something coming to us. There's a tone of maybe arrogance. There's a tone of expectation. There's a tone of, look how good we are. We deserve something. And so Jesus says this to Peter. Truly I tell you, in the renewal of all things, when the Son of Man sits on His glorious throne, you who have followed Me will also sit on twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. And everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or fields because of My name will receive a hundred times more and will inherit eternal life. So the one side of the coin, Jesus makes a promise. If you sacrifice for me, if you lose for me, if you give up for me, you will be rewarded. And rewarded richly. A hundred times more. But more than that, eternal life. That's a, a wonderful promise. 
And notice what has been given up. Not, not just things. Family. The most precious thing beyond our Lord that we have. Having to leave family. Having family leave you. Having to give up. Brothers, sisters, father, mother, children. For Jesus. The Lord says you will be rewarded. But his next words are this. Many who are first will be last. And the last first. And then he tells this parable. Which is the other side of the coin. The one side is you will be rewarded. The other side's a warning. Watch out with what motivation you have in your service. And that's why Jesus tells the story. This is important. This is the one side, the reward side of the coin. When we're giving up for Jesus, we're making an investment. We're not losing. Andy Stanley says, giving up something now for something better later is not a sacrifice. It's an investment. That's what Jesus was saying. You may lose family to follow me. All your possessions may be gone to follow me. It's a sacrifice. But is it really? If it's done to follow Jesus, that sacrifice is an investment in the eternal kingdom that we will be with him in. As we've heard, as I shared last week, storing up treasure in heaven, that's the investment that's being made. So first hear that message from the Lord, that promise to Peter. When we sacrifice for the Lord to serve Him and to serve others, the Lord watches, He will reward. We're not losing, we are gaining much more than we've given up. But then He told the parable, and He said, watch out for your motivation. So this is what this parable means, and this is what it teaches us. This parable teaches us these things. It's not wrong to be motivated by reward. Otherwise, Jesus wouldn't have told Peter there's going to be a reward. Why would Jesus have told him that if that wasn't true or he didn't want him to know about it? We need to know that when we get discouraged. We need to know there's a reward when it feels like we're losing everything. We need to know there's a reward when it's too, it seems too difficult to follow Jesus. To know that we are investing, to know that there's a future, to know there's an eternity, to know that we will be rewarded... That gives us hope. We need that hope. So God gives us that hope. But we cannot focus only on the reward and focus on the exact reward we will get or have in our mind this transaction that I am going to do this so that I will get a reward. See, there's a key point in this parable between the two different groups. The ones that came on the very part of the day made a contract, they agreed to work for Daenerys. They agreed to work for one of those. They made a contract. But the others that came trusted the landowner to give them whatever was right. That's a big difference, isn't it? The first ones who came didn't trust the landowner for good reason in those days. The land, there wasn't all of the labor laws we have today. They could have worked the whole day. At the end of the day, the landowner could have said, see you next time, giving them nothing. 
So they weren't going to risk working all day and getting nothing. They didn't trust him. So they made a contract. We will work, but you must pay us one denarius. But the others, all the rest of them, were much more trusting. He didn't promise them anything. He only promised whatever is right. That took a lot of faith, a lot of trust, didn't it? To work for that. What they thought was right and what the landowner thought was right may have been completely different. But they were willing to do it. And so you see the difference in motivation. When we serve the Lord, let's not focus on the exact amount we're going to get or focus on exactly what we've given up and multiplied by a hundred times. Let's trust God as we serve Him that He's going to reward us according to what is right. You see, the parable teaches us that God is fair. He kept the, the landowner kept the contract, right? He's fair. But he's also generous because he gave the workers that worked for one hour really 12 times more than he gave the first ones. So we can trust God and serve him knowing he's fair and he's generous and he will reward us according to whatever is right. Also, we must not become proud as we serve. That was Peter's problem. He felt like he deserved a reward. We should never serve God with the expectation that we deserve something. Everything we have, especially our salvation, is far more than we deserve. So how can we arrogantly serve God by feeling like we deserve something? Pride should not be, must not be, part of our service for the Lord. Also, don't watch other Christians... And measure your work with theirs. For one thing, another parable Jesus teaches us, God doesn't gift us all the same way. Now some people have lots of talent, lots of gifts. Some people can do it all, it seems like. Although Paul also tells us no one has all the gifts. We need each other. God purposefully didn't give anybody all the gifts because he wants all of us to work together. But it's obvious, and even Paul admits it, God admits it, it's obvious in observation that we're not all gifted the same. So if we're not all gifted the same, we're not going to be able to have the same results in our service, are we? So that's one good reason not to compare ourselves to others. Also, we run the risk of judging something before the end has come. Isn't this true in life? I mean, just think about a race. Whoever's leading the race in the first part of it isn't the one who wins at the end, usually. Same in sports. When you watch a basketball game, no one gets a reward. No one gets a trophy for winning at the first, end of the first half. The end of the first half, you don't say, well, look at that team. Wow, they're awesome. Look at them and applaud them and give them accolades and all. Not the halftime. It's at the end of the game. And so you know this, someone who's trailing by dozens of points at halftime may come back at the end and win. So you can't look at someone's life, you can't look at your life and see how it's going and how the results of service are going because the end hasn't come yet. You may plant a seed in someone's life that doesn't produce fruit for another 20 years. 
Uh, the greatest fruitfulness of your ministry and your sacrifice and your service for God may not be evident now and may be evident years later. So don't be discouraged and think now you're doing all of this and nothing's happening. You don't know that yet. And we, don't, we may see people and think they are going to be first. They may end up being the last and vice versa. You especially see this if you've done any any mission outside of the U.S. This is what humbles me sometimes because, uh, for example, when we went to, to Ghana and Pastor Mustafa, we saw him there. By the standards of a lot of Americans, if there was just an American that was looking at him and looking at his, where he lived and what he did and his ministry, just I mean, not, I'm not talking about American Christians. I'm just talking about Americans. They'd probably think, what a joke. He doesn't have anything. I don't see him doing much. They would consider him someone probably last. But in reality, especially as we as Christians would see what he, the impact he was making, the lives he was changing, the churches he was planting, he's going to be one of the first. And so it's really impossible for us as humans to judge who's first and last. We've got to be careful. We may see an evangelist on television and think he's certainly going to get the most reward. Well, he may end up at the back of the line when it comes to uh, receiving reward. Maybe the motivation for everything he does is greed. Well, how much reward is he going to get for that? Absolutely nothing. And there may be a humble person who serves in this nursery and has served for 30 years. He'll be at the front of the line. And there may be Christians in this church who will say, who is that? And you'll say, well, I don't know. I never saw her. Well, that's because she was in the nursery all the time. That's why you never saw her. But she's at the front of the line. She was motivated by love. Serve children out of love. Serve the Lord out of love. And she will receive greater reward than the evangelist that everybody knows his name. That's Jesus' point. Finally, serve God in obedience. Serve Him with faith and serve Him with love. When God tells us to do something, that's the most important thing. Do it. And as you do it, be motivated by love for God. He loved us by giving us His life and by saving us. We serve Him out of love because of what He has done. And we serve people out of love because we love them like God loves them. And we serve with trust that God's going to reward us as He does so and whatever's right. Serve God, do work for God from your heart. That means genuinely. That means motivated by love. That means without pride, without judging yourself against others, without focused on the reward that you will get. I love this last verse in Ephesians 6.6. 6. In fact, this verse is given to slaves who are serving an earthly master. It also could be used for us, because I know as employees we often feel like slaves <laughs> serving a master. But isn't this just true in general? Think about it just true generally. Wherever you have ever worked in your life, don't, doesn't it often true that people work the hardest when the boss shows up? Isn't that true? And then when the boss is gone on vacation or the boss is out of town, boss taking coffee break, that's when everyone kicks back, relax. No one's watching. I don't have to work hard. Uh, I mean, Paul said that to these slaves, but 
obviously needs to be said to every person who works. But also think about it in a broader context. That's not working for a paycheck, but in all of the service and all the work that you do. You can do Christian ministry only for applause, only for what people say about you, only to show off, and it will not be from your heart. And so Paul says this, Don't work only while being watched as people pleasers, but as slaves of Christ, do God's will from your heart. That's what Jesus is saying in this parable. Serve Him from your heart. And remember, the first will be last, and the last will be first.